and welcome to Bible Words. In this series, each week I take a single word which appears in the lectionary readings for that Sunday and explore the use of that word throughout the scriptures. I look at each word as it appears in the original language, so for New Testament words in Greek, for Old Testament words in Hebrew. I hope that by looking at a single word across the scriptures in this way, it will help us all develop a greater sense of the unity of all scripture. This week's Bible word is the Greek verb dipsao, which means thirst. Variants of this verb appear three times in the Gospel of the Third Sunday of Lent, year A. That's John chapter 4, verses 5 to 42, when Jesus offers living water to the Samaritan woman at the well, so that all who drink from him may never thirst. In the secular Greek literature of the ancient world, we see two senses of the verb dipsao and the related noun dipsos that persist into the biblical use of the word. Firstly, physical thirst, in other words, a lack of water. And second, thirst as a metaphor, a strong desire for something. An example of the first sense of physical thirst is the story of Tantalus, who is seen by Odysseus during the latter's visit to Hades in the Odyssey Book 11. Tantalus has been condemned by Zeus to stand in a pool of water up to his chin, but is never permitted to quench his insatiable thirst. One of the serpents mentioned by Milton in Paradise Lost Book 10 is a snake called Dipsas, which had been named by Sophocles, amongst others, for its bite, which was supposed to lead to agonizing thirst in any person bitten by it. Examples of metaphorical thirst include one of Pindar's odes, which declares that various deeds thirst for various things, and also Plato's Republic, which describes a democratic city having a thirst for freedom. In the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, which was produced between the 3rd and 2nd centuries before Christ, the verb dipsao and the noun dipsos appear just over 50 times between them mostly translating the Hebrew word Somme. Living in arid lands without modern water systems, the people of the Bible were acutely aware of the perils of being without water. For them, thirst was not simply discomfort, but potentially life-threatening. Physical thirst could occur through a variety of causes, for example, as a result of oppression by enemies. As when, in the second book of Chronicles, chapter 32, verse 11, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, sends messengers to Jerusalem to encourage them to give up their resistance under siege, rather than die by famine and by thirst, where there is dipsan. The most notable episode of life-threatening thirst is the story of the people of Israel in the desert. In Exodus chapter 17, having left Egypt led by Moses, the people thirsted at Edipsese there for water. And they grumbled against Moses and said, Why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst at Dipsei? That's in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3. The Lord's miraculous relief of their thirst, bringing water from the rock struck by Moses, is recalled several times in other parts of the Hebrew Scriptures, including Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, and also chapter 32, verse 10 where the land as well as the people is parched, dipsa. There's also 
Nehemiah chapter 9 verses 15 and 20, where the priests praise God for his past deeds, including the relief of their thirst. And also Isaiah chapter 48 verse 21, which reminds Israel that they did not thirst, dipsesosi, when he, God, led them through the desert. And that reminds them to return to faithfulness now and go back to the Lord. Physical thirst can also be symbolic of general distress. In Isaiah chapter 41 verse 17, the poor and the needy have tongues parched with thirst, dipses. One of the images of Zion's degradation in the book of Lamentations is that the tongue of the infant cleaves to the roof of its mouth because of thirst, dipsei. That's Lamentations chapter 4 verse 4. And the psalmist in Psalm 69 verse 22 receives only vinegar for his thirst from his enemies in an image that is subsequently recalled by Jesus at his crucifixion, as we'll see later. Although all relief of thirst ultimately comes from God, he looks favorably on those who charitably help to relieve others' thirst. It is, for example, one of the ways in which Boaz is generous to Ruth in Ruth chapter 2 verse 9. David also receives help while in Gilead on retreats from Absalom when he and his men are thirsty. That's in the second book of Samuel chapter 17 verses 27 to 29. And Charity to enemies, including giving water to the thirsty, the dipsa, is commended in Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 to 22. And that's a passage that's subsequently quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, as we'll see later. On the other hand, failure to relieve the thirsty is condemned, for example, by Eliphas in Job chapter 22, verse 7, and also Isaiah chapter 32, verse 6, describes withholding drink from the thirsty, the dipsosas, as one of the unjust acts of the fools and the wicked. Note that the effectiveness of all of these images of thirst depends on there being a physical reality of thirst and of drought, which the original audiences of these texts must have experienced. So thirst was not simply an image, a metaphor, but an experienced reality for the people of Israel. Nevertheless, thirst is sometimes purely metaphorical in the Hebrew Scriptures. Relief of the thirst of people or of land is an image of something desirable, as when Job remembers the former days of his influence on others, as the thirsting earth receiving the rain, so were they for my speech, that's in Job chapter 29 verse 23. And the same is true of good news from a far country in Proverbs chapter 25 verse 25, or the benefits of a righteous ruler in Isaiah chapter 32 verse 2. Thirst can also express spiritual longing for God, especially by the psalmist, who says that his soul thirsted, that's a deep sesen, like for God, like a deer longing for springs of water, that's in Psalm 42 verses 2 and 3, and also like a dry, weary land without water in Psalm 63, verse 2. But whether the thirst is physical or metaphorical, only God can relieve it, either by his providence of giving natural processes such as rain, rivers and springs, or at other times miraculously, as we saw earlier in Exodus chapter 17. God satisfies the thirst of people, for example, reviving Samson in Judges chapter 15, verse 18, 
and also of animals, such as wild donkeys in Psalm 104 verse 11. The land, too, can be dry, and its relief through water is a regular image of God's salvation, for example in Isaiah chapter 35, where the desert and the parched land, that's Dipsosa, will be glad, and water will gush forth in the wilderness, and a ravine in a thirsting land, that's Dipsose. And the burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground, Dipsosan, will turn into bubbling springs. All of these quotations are from Isaiah chapter 35, verses 1, 5, and 6. On the other hand, God can withhold these providential resources so that sin can be punished by thirst, as in Psalm 107, verse 33, where springs are turned into parched, that's dipsan, ground. And Hosea chapter 2, verse 2, where the Lord will make the unfaithful Israel like a wilderness and slay her with thirst. In Isaiah chapter 65, verse 13, there is a contrast in fate between those who forsake the Lord, that's verse 11, and those who remain faithful. So we hear, Behold, my servants will drink, but you, who forsake the Lord, will be thirsty, that's dipsete. Thirst is therefore a key sign of our dependence on God in the Hebrew Scriptures, and we must be careful to satisfy our thirst only by what is given by God. So, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, memorably invites everyone who thirsts, the dipsontes, to come to the waters, and then asks, Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? That's Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. The New Testament has far fewer occurrences of dipsao, only 16 in all, and only one occurrence of the noun dipsos. Just as in the Hebrew scriptures, physical thirst is a constant threat. So the Apostle Paul includes thirst among the many adversities he has suffered. We see this in the first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 11, and the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 27. Jesus' penultimate saying on the cross in John chapter 19, verse 28 is, I am thirsty. And this is not only a fulfillment of the scripture, which is probably Psalm 69, verse 22, since Jesus' request is answered, just as in the psalm, by being given vinegar to drink. But it's not only a fulfillment of the scripture, but also a mark of Christ's humanity, even in death. He needs water because he is thirsty. And continuity with the Hebrew Scriptures is also evident in our call to do God's work to satisfy the thirsty, even if they are enemies, as Paul exhorts in Romans chapter 12 verse 20, which, as I mentioned earlier, quotes Proverbs chapter 25 verse 21. And most notably, Matthew chapter 25's scene of judgment for the virtuous and the wicked turns on how people have responded to the needs of others. Because when we relieve these, the least of his brothers, we are doing it to Christ himself. Because he is the one who is thirsty. That's a dipsesa. And that is in Matthew chapter 25, verses 35, 37, 42, and 44. Thirst is, in the New Testament, also spiritual, especially in the Beatitudes, where those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the dipsontes, will be satisfied. That's in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. The satisfaction of this thirst 
is depicted in the book of Revelation chapter 7 verse 16, where the 144,000 will neither go hungry nor thirst, that's dipsesusin, and this is in an image almost identical to the prophetic promise of Isaiah chapter 49 verse 10. And it is in Revelation the Lamb who provides this relief from thirst via springs of living water. The dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 verses 5 to 42, which as we heard is in the third Sunday of Lent gospel, this turns on the woman's confusion between physical and spiritual thirst. Jesus offers the woman living water so that those who follow him may never thirst, that's that they may never thirst again. But the woman at first interprets this offer simply as a superior source of physical water that will prevent her needing to return to the well each day. She struggles to grasp the radically different nature of what Jesus is offering her and the fact that the power of this living water is based on the identity of the one who is making the offer, that's Jesus himself. Jesus repeats this offer of relieving spiritual thirst linked to himself elsewhere in John's Gospel, as when, in the Bread of Life discourse, he promises that those who believe in him will never be hungry or thirsty again, that's in John chapter 6 verse 35, and also in John chapter 7 verse 37, on the last day of the festival, Jesus calls for anyone who is thirsty to come to him and drink. In making this statement at the festival or Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus is alluding to the Jewish ceremony of the time within that feast, which was associated with water, celebrated as God's gift. But Jesus identifies himself as the perfect giver of that gift of living water. And these promises of Christ as the perfect satisfaction of spiritual thirst come to a climax in the book of Revelation, where the water of life is offered free of charge to the one who thirsts, that's in Revelation chapter 21 verse 6 and also in chapter 22 verse 17. These passages speak of the new order of the kingdom of God, where there is no more thirst or hunger, and the language of these passages just like the language of Jesus in John's Gospel is powerfully reminiscent of the Hebrew Scriptures and of Isaiah chapter 55 verse 1, come to the water in particular. So, what does all of this mean for us? Well, first, to what extent do we really thirst for God? Is it a matter of life and death for us? Or is it just a mild inclination? The Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 2560, quotes St. Augustine, telling us that God thirsts that we may thirst for him. So do we match God's urgency? Is God a necessity for us, or just someone we turn to when it is convenient or diverting? Second, do we personally, individually, give water to the thirsty? Or do we hoard water and other resources for ourselves? And we think of that particularly at this time of people in need. And if we do give water and we provide other works of mercy, are we clear that it is not only Christ who is receiving, as he promised in Matthew chapter 25, but it is also Christ in us who, through his grace, 
is doing the giving so that we're not tempted to take pride in our own charitable works. And finally, how do we quench our spiritual thirst? With what fails to satisfy or with God alone? We seek happiness in so many wrong places which cannot give us satisfaction. So let's try not to waste our time with what fails to satisfy. Isaiah chapter 55 reminds us that only God can offer true happiness, and that offer of his to come to the water is free of charge. Thanks be to God. Amen.